Today on Cross Defense, we're talking about offensive apologetics, which is not to be confused with offensive apologetics. We're talking about education and how Jesus wasn't allowed in a public school, but the Alliance Defending Freedom has something to say about that, so don't you worry. We're also talking about suicide, the threat of it, and how it's used against parents and school boards by the state to coerce them to go along with the demonic transgenderism lie. We'll also take a look at Lutheranism and how we've never fallen for this Sodom and Gomorrah trick, and we actually have pulled our children out and moved them across the world to spare them from such lies. All of that and more is coming up right now on Cross Defense. Welcome to Cross Defense, my friends. This is the show that aims to equip the mind, excite the imagination, and comfort the soul. And as you know, if you have been around here before, we aim to do all of that with God's Word. I'm your host, Reverend Tyrell Bramwell. I'm the pastor of St. Mark Lutheran Church way out here in Ferndale, California, where parents gather with their children to teach them the faith right along with the adults. I know it's a weird thing, most certainly in the divine service, but also in the Bible study, and I love it. It's also where we've begun the process of prayerfully considering the establishment of a classical Christian school to assist parents in their vocational duty of raising their children in the fear of the Lord. More on that is to come. If during the show, my friends, you'd like to send us your comments, your questions, your bits of biblical brilliance that are so, so good, please go to stmarksferndale.com slash contact. That's S-T-M-A-R-K-S ferndale.com slash contact and send us all of that wonderful wisdom you have. You can also find St. Mark on Instagram and Facebook, and you might know that I'm on YouTube. That's where I host all of our winged lion videos in service to the church's evangelism efforts. If you have a general comment, my friend, and you want to rate and review the show on the platform that you use to listen to this podcast, we would appreciate that too. Go ahead and give us a five-star review and tell us what you think of the show, as long as it's good. (laughs) We're grateful for any effort you have that you can put into getting Cross Defense out to more people. Help us spread the gospel. Okay, our children's education, among other things, is a key component to effective apologetics, is it not? To evangelism. It doesn't just serve our children, though it does serve our children. A good Christ-centered education serves the kids, but it also serves our entire society as they interact with their neighbors. What is Jesus' great commission to the church? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, right? baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And get this, it says, teaching them, this is what Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Teaching is vital for our children and for all the nations if they're going to learn about Christ. They're going to learn what he commanded us what it is to be a Christian. And with all the drag queen story time stuff going on, we rightly identify that it's bad for our children to be indoctrinated by the LGBTQ. But we can't just stop the indoctrination from happening. Not just. We also need to recognize that part of our defense is an outstanding offense. Now, I've heard local LGBTQ critics reply to to our resistance here at St. Mark to their indoctrination 
I've heard them reply something like this, uh, you know, how hypocritical those Christians are. The church is, is so worried about indoctrination, but, but all they do is indoctrinate. <laughs> to which I have a couple things to say. First of all, no, we don't. But we need to. You're right, we need to. Those are our marching orders from Christ himself. And we've actually slacked off on the intentional focus of indoctrinating our children and adults alike. But these scoffers are right. They are right about the existence of hypocrisy. It's found in our failure to indoctrinate the children. It's our, it's our failure to be doing what they're doing. Yeah, we don't want drag queens indoctrinating our children into sin. But we never said anything about us not indoctrinating children into faith in Christ Jesus. No one ever claimed we weren't doing that. Indoctrinate, break that word apart. What's the middle word? What's right there in the core of it? What is the etymology there? It has the word doctrine in it, right? It is to bring someone into a certain doctrine. And doctrine is simply a fancy word for teaching. Jesus actually told the church to indoctrinate all nations. We need to refocus church on this task and not only rebuff the devil's educational efforts, but fill that void with godly schools, however they may look in your part of the world. For us, we want to do that right here with a one-room schoolhouse because we already own the building. And we have a smaller congregation with fewer kids. It'll work. We want to pull our kids out of the public school, where here the pot smoke fills the halls, there's fear of mass shootings that loom around the corner, no one knows if it's going to happen tomorrow or the next day, rainbow flags are on display in the biology classrooms, where English teachers think it's endearing to fill swear jars with $86 worth of quarters throughout a semester, and sexual predators are fired for fornicating with their students. I could go on. And on and on. I could cite the pagan practice of mindfulness that's forced on our elementary kids. I could talk about the evolutionary bias rampant in all the subjects. And note how the health teacher shouts down, with vulgar language, mind you, students who dismiss the talk of gender fluidity for what it is, a sham. Oh, a kid saying something contrary to what the teacher says? Ooh, obey me. No. I can go on and on and on. But the point is this. If it's this bad here in Ferndale, in the Ferndale Unified School District, where we have 1,300 people, roughly, they have a K-8 elementary slash junior high, and then a school of about 30 kids per grade, 9 through 12. If it's this bad here, well, then you know it's bad everywhere else. See, the claim here is that we still prize the old-fashioned American values. That's how this community walks around, thinking we still uphold faith and family and, and all, the, all these traditions, but those values are being undermined daily by the state through insidious instruction coming into the classroom from all angles. As our teachers are being taught, our California teachers are being taught all this woke garbage, and then they're bringing it to our little farm community. It's got to stop. It's everywhere, and we see it all over the news. 
The Alliance Defending Freedom sent an email out with details on a case involving a nine-year-old girl named Lydia out there in Mississippi who, who, while complying back in the days of COVID with her school's COVID rules, took the opportunity to express herself with her mask, as did many others, as did her classmates, as did adults. People wore all kinds of masks. You saw all the different masks out there. You could buy them. You wore them. I'm sure you did. You can get them to match her outfits, bedazzle them, whatever. Some of her classmates had on, as ADF reports, masks, masks with sport logos on them, you know, college, local college teams or whatever, and even Black Lives Matter. Of course, that was okay. They were fine. But Lydia wore one that said, Jesus loves me in bright pink letters. A black mask, Jesus loves me. ADF writes, although she had worn the mask several times and no student objected to its message, school officials pulled her aside and forced her to remove the mask and then retroactively changed the policy to justify their discrimination. Check out the link in the show notes for more on that story if you're interested. It's a great story and good for Lydia and her parents I think, my friends, we're to a point in this country, in the West, where we need to flee state schools. They are too corrupt. They are, they are so sinful and vile. And many of you already have, I'm sure. And thankfully, in the Missouri Senate, our, our church body is known for, has a long heritage, a history of operating our own school system. Praise be to God. But even that's under threat. They're dying, they're declining as the church is, and, and they're being infected by the woke virus, the woke mind virus, right? The country is engaged in a struggle for our children, and it's, it's not leaving us alone just because we have our own parochial school. So if you already have one of those, double down on making sure it's fortified. If your kids are in a public school, my suggestion is get them out. Your kids aren't even allowed to communicate that Jesus loves them at the public school. ADF quotes Lydia's reasoning for wearing her mask during COVID. A time, remember, a time when churches were deemed non-essential, a time when adults in positions of authority were modeling to children in their schools unhealthy fear and panic over a virus that for all intents and purposes posed little to no threat to the kids. And while all the superintendents and the principals and the teachers and the governors, etc., were telling kids the sky was falling, Lydia, no doubt because she had good parental care, put her trust in Jesus. The message on her mask wasn't about others. It wasn't first and foremost an evangelism effort. It was about her. Jesus loves me, it said. Which, of course is a wonderful witness to others. But the school authorities said, you can't speak your religion here. This is a public school. Read the article, it's great. Now, here in California, there are currently four, count them, four specific bills being voted on that the California Family Council reports undermine parental authority, including AB 1078, which effectively allows the state to take control of local school boards. We're seeing in real time the attempt to usurp parental authority by the state. 
and not just in schools, but especially in schools. Maybe you've heard of the Chino Valley Unified School District's recent controversial policy. Thanks be to God that it passed four to one that the board members had the fortitude to stand up against California's intimidation tactics. Greg Burt of CFC reports the president of the school board's explanation for this, it's called parental notification policy, which requires schools in the Chino Valley School District to notify parents if their children have had any significant physical injury while at school. Makes sense. A school employee suspects or has knowledge of a student's suicidal intentions. Ooh, that's important. There's any incident or complaint of a verbal or physical altercation involving their child, including incidents of bullying by or against a student. Makes sense. A student is requesting to be identified or treated as a gender other than the student's biological sex. Hmm. That, too, makes complete sense. Sonia Shaw is the president. She says this policy is meant to foster trust between employees and our students' parents and guardians. I stand for the authority of parents to guide the upbringing of their children and their involvement in decisions related to their education, health, safety, and well-being. Schools should never, she says, as I agree, keep secrets from parents. You would too, I'm sure nor put teachers in a position where they have to lie to them. Oh my goodness, of course not. The teachers are working for the parents. This is, this is the old school of thought. I don't think it's what the teachers are being taught anymore in the education schools throughout this, the universities of our country, but this is the original thought. The teacher comes into town to teach all the farmers' kids, because what are the farmers doing? They're farming. And they want their children to have a good education. And so they all pool together, they start a school, and this one room schoolhouse, and they have the teacher start teaching the kids, but never without control, which is what the school boards are for. That they can supervise and be engaged in the education of their children. Just as, you know, parents don't bring their kids to church and then just hand their children over to the pastor and say, raise them up to be a Christian, pastor. We'll come pick them up after brunch. No. Pastors are in the assisting role of the head of the family. The families gather together and they form a congregation in this area where they're all being taught the same word of God so that when they go home, all these families can then spread that teaching out throughout their families. This is how this works. This is what a congregation is doing. It is a group of families, just as a school is a group of families. As a community at large, the city we live in, Ferndale, wherever you live, it is a group of families. That's, that's the root behind the word economy. It is one house, household with another household with another household with another household, all joining efforts for their economy. A school is an economy, the church is as well. 
in this regard. We're all joining and pooling our efforts. But that doesn't mean we relinquish authority over our own children. In fact, it should heighten our curiosity of what's being taught to our child. Is that what I would have taught my child? If not, correction needs to be made in one of several different ways, right? Including pulling your kids out of school, getting rid of that bad teacher, whatever the case may be. Implementing a school board policy that requires the paid helper, the teacher, to let parents know when something detrimental is happening to their child. Would that all school board presidents and members still held this view, but they don't. And the civil authorities are coming after the ones that do. Let's take a break right there. When we come back, we'll look at what the Attorney General for California had to say about this school board's parental notification policy. Don't go away. You're listening to Cross Defense. military veteran, engineer, entrepreneur. These are just some of the former careers held by current LCMS pastors, careers that they left behind to serve congregations in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. No matter the background, our Lord calls men who have a passion for the word and a love for serving Christ to be pastors, a sacred, joyful, and essential vocation. If you or a friend have been praying and thinking about becoming a pastor, visit weareyourseminaries.org and put your experience and skills to new use in pastoral ministry. Visit weareyourseminaries.org seminaries.org. The Chino Valley Unified School District is serving parents in a right and good order, but California has a problem with that. California's Attorney General Rob Bonta sent this email out saying, our children have the right to feel safe, respected, and protected at school. As Attorney General of California, I'm committed to making that a reality and refuse to stand for anything less. That includes everything from keeping our students safe from gun violence, to ensuring our schools teach LGBTQ history, to protecting the, the privacy and safety of transgender students. As a father of three, it breaks my heart, he says, to think of the bullying, harassment, and hate our LGBTQ youth are forced to endure. Unfortunately, even sometimes in their own homes. We all have a responsibility to stand up for our LGBTQ plus youth, protect them from harm, and make sure they know, no matter who they love or how they identify, they are welcome here. And notice how he opens, how he speaks throughout the entire email. Our children. This is the Democrat position, our children. Listen to these Biden clips. There's no such thing as someone else's child. No such thing as someone else's child. Our nation's children are all our children. As I often say, you teachers hold the kite strings and lift our national ambitions aloft. You really do. Imagine, imagine, just imagine if we didn't have great teachers. In these country. are our kids. These are our neighbors. It's cruel and it's callous. Not somebody else's kids. They're all our kids. They're the kids that are, and our children are the kite strings that hold our national ambitions aloft. There are still so many young people here in Ohio and all across America struggling 
struggling to picture a future, kicked out of their home, subject to vile practice of conversion therapy. That's why the Biden Foundation created an initiative called As You Are, promoting understanding and acceptance for the safety of LGBTQ youth. This is literally a matter of life and death for so many young people. 2017 study found that 47% of LGBTQ youth had considered suicide and 23% attempted it. And I suspect many of you have become strong as you are today with the support of those who offered help along the way. Sounds silly, but the teacher who looked out for you in the classroom, the faith leader who reminded you they were all born and created in God's image, the chosen family who filled the void when your biological family wasn't there. That's who I believe we are. And that is the soul of America. This is our real moral obligation. These are not somebody else's children. They're all our children. The chosen family, did you hear that? And right after completely twisting God's word about being born in the image of God and what that means, just kind of sweeping past it and taking it for granted but and doing it wrongly, falsely. But they're taking a benevolent stand, remember, on the side of the kids always, for the kids, protecting them from, from whom exactly? Oh, from mom and dad. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to teach LGBTQism to our kids and stand up for our kids against who? Oh, their parents. Yeah, it's a moral obligation, we're told. Biden just told us their morals are upside down, church. They're upside down. This is from Isaiah. Down is up, up is down, good is bad, bad is good, bitter, sweet, sweet, bitter, all of this. We just heard this too, and coming out of Jeremiah, where the prophets are claiming that there's nothing wrong, all was well with you. Jeremiah 23, right? No, no, we don't get to do this. Your great moral obligation, President Biden, is immoral. <laughs> it's an immoral obligation that you're undertaking. So we have to pay attention to the language. Just like we discussed last week, with politicians giving us our rights. No, no, no. And your children are not our children. They're yours, Christian. They're yours. I'm pretty sure the kids I conceived with my wife are my kids. They're her kids. But they're not your kids. They're not our kids. I'm responsible for their well-being. That's my vocational duty as father. The buck stops with their mom and me, not with the state. But this, I must admit, is a very biblical view, isn't it? Flip with me to Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. This gives us our bearings. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, we read, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
It's this verse, no doubt, that undergirds the oft-repeated words in Luther's small catechism that we read with our children, as the head of the family should teach, it says, over and over and over again throughout all the six chief parts of Christianity. As the head of the family, the father teaches. Deuteronomy 6 is another passage that should definitely come to mind as you're thinking about parental rights and education. Hear, O Israel, hear, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Now contrast that with Plato's Republic and see which one has more of an influence on our current situation. Plato writes, All those in the city who happen to be older than ten, they will send out to the country, and taking over their children, they will rear them far away from those dispositions they now have from their parents. <laughs> exactly what happened to the university. It's like what happened to the elementary school too, but definitely when our kids go off to university and they're taught how, you know, yeah, your parents, they're nice, they love you and everything, but they're country bumpkins, they don't know anything. Listen to me, listen to the professor, I'm the expert. I, I have my PhD in humanities or something. Listen to me. Don't listen to your mom and dad. It's so platonic, isn't it? The magnitude of Christianity's influence on the West all throughout our history, it escapes us, don't you think? To think of what the West could have been like had, had Christianity not shaped it as the West became the West. If, if the, the biblical Judeo-Christian influence wasn't part of the Greco-Roman culture, if we didn't infuse it with Christ, the West would be a completely different West, wouldn't it? In his intimidation letter to the Chino Valley School Board, Rob Bonta gave this as one of the reasons why parents should not be informed, not be, when the world has finally corrupted their kids and turned them into well, whatever they decide they want to be. He says, in addition to infringing upon student privacy, forced outing of students to their parents is very likely to result in significant emotional, mental, and even physical harm and subject students to discriminatory harassment, such as when a student's family relationships are so fraught that the student expresses a significant likelihood that they may commit self-harm or suicide if their gender identity was disclosed to their parents. Dear saints, Satan has weaponized compassion. Nobody wants people to commit suicide. And that's exactly what they prey on. Just as Chloe Cole stated in her statement before Congress just this past July 27th. My name is Chloe Cole, and I'm a detransitioner. Another way to put that would be, I used to believe that I was born in the wrong body, and the adults in my life, whom I trusted, affirmed my belief, and this caused me lifelong, irreversible harm. 
I speak to you today as a victim of one of the biggest medical scandals in the history of the United States of America. I speak to you in the hope that you will have the courage to bring the scandal to an end and ensure that other vulnerable teenagers, children, and young adults don't go through what I went through. At the age of 12, I began to experience what my medical team would later diagnose as gender dysphoria. I was well into an early puberty and I was very uncomfortable with the changes that were happening to my body. I was, intimida I was intimidated by male attention. And when I told my parents that I felt like a boy, in retrospect, all I meant was that I hated puberty, that I wanted this newfound sexual attention to go away, that I looked up to my brothers a little bit more than I did to my sisters. I came out as transgender in a letter I sent on the dining room table. My parents were immediately concerned. They felt like they needed to get outside help from medical professionals, but this proved to be a mistake. It immediately set our entire family down a path of ideologically motivated deceit and coercion. The gender specialist I was taken to, taken to see told my parents that I needed to be put on puberty-blocking drugs right away. They asked my parents a simple question. Would you rather have a dead daughter or a living transgender son. The choice was enough for my parents to let their guard down, and in retrospect, I can't blame them. This is the moment that we all became victims of so-called gender-affirming care. But California's all in. They're putting all their agents on this one. This is what California State Superintendent of Public Instruction, Tony Thurman, tried to sell at the Chino Valley School Board meeting when they voted four to one for the parents. Have a listen. Good evening, Madam President, members of the board, parents, teachers, and students. I stand before you as a proud American, as a man of faith, the son of a veteran who served in Vietnam, who's buried not far from here. I love this country. And in addition to being the state superintendent, I am also a parent. And I come before you as a parent tonight. And we can debate all of the laws and all of the policies and practices, I ask you to consider this, that nearly half of students who identify as being LGBTQ are considering suicide. I ask you to consider this, that the policy that you consider tonight not only may fall outside of the laws that respect privacy and safety for our students, but may put our students at risk because they may not be in homes where they can be safe. Time. Time. Here in Ferndale, Councilman Jorgensen, a former teacher, posited the same fear as his motivation for wanting to give the LGBTQ an anti-hate resolution in response to St. Mark's sign. And the only other person on the council who supported him was another former teacher. California public school teachers, by the way, yeah. He referenced this hypothetical suicide argumentation. So let's think about this for a second. Is suicide horrible? I know that's a silly question to ask, but let's ask it anyway. Is it horrible? Yes, that's the answer, right? Absolutely. Is it the result of parents not affirming their kids' LGBTQ indoctrination? Well, no. That answer is no. Is there a high suicide rate among this LGBTQ demographic? Okay, I think we're back to a yes. Yes, I believe there is. They are already exhibiting mental instability because they think they're one gender or another, or they're attracted to the opposite sex. They're in anguish 
over reality, which is why the LGBTQ has the Q. That's what they say. It is queering. They're trying to queer reality. They are already at odds with the created order of the world. There is already going to be a mental strain involved, and we know that simply by virtue of them being part of the LGBTQ. The futile effort to get everyone around them to always affirm their delusion is only going to aggravate their despondency because they'll never be able to achieve that goal. It's ridiculous. But they act as if they can, and they're being encouraged to think that as soon as everyone gets in line, as soon as the whole culture is now affirming their delusion, that that feeling of despair inside will go away. So being agents that promote this, being attorney generals or city council members or, or reporters or parents or whatever, anyone who's supporting this idea, especially for the kids, well, that's just cruel because it's never going to happen. There's, they're never going to live in a world that is completely, totally queered from nature's laws that God created. There's a well-known suicide in the Bible that is very helpful for us in this situation. Judas, right? Judas committed suicide after he betrayed Jesus. So, why did Judas commit suicide? Well, for the same reason. Despair over reality. The reality was he betrayed Jesus, and he knew it. He tried to undo that reality. He tried to give back the blood money, but the truth of the world that he lived in, the reality of the world as it was, couldn't be altered. The truth was the truth. He had betrayed Jesus. And his grief over his identity as the betrayer of Christ drove him to kill himself. That's exactly what's going on with this entire cultural battle about transgenderism, where the left is trying to force us to affirm lies. If we will just go along, they say, with every person who's in despair over reality, well, well, then their consciences will be allayed, they, they assure us. And the innate sense of grief that they feel will go away. But the burden is now on us to affirm them in all of their queered order of nature, the disorder of nature. And that's their hope, get us to come along. But that's not reality. <laughs> it can never be. We're trying to protect trans kids. I should say, not we, we in the very general term. They are trying to, they say, protect trans kids by weakening them rather than by strengthening them. Just protect them from reality and their, their despair will go away. Really, is that how it works? Is that how life has ever treated you, adult? Ever. You know, Judas 
wasn't the only disciple to betray Jesus on the night of his arrest. Peter did as well, didn't he? In a very detailed way that we know of from Scripture. What did Peter do? He denied Jesus three times, three times. And he was seized by despair over that, just like Judas was. So why didn't Peter commit suicide? I mean, Judas did. Why didn't Peter? Did Jesus protect him from, from the, the reality of his denial? Did he, did he shield him from the truth? Did the Lord coddle Peter in his fragile state as a victim, saying, oh, you're the victim for denying me? You're, you're, the, you're the, the real victim here in this situation. Yeah, reality should bend to your will, your confused will. No, the Lord didn't weaken Peter. He strengthened him. Jesus restored Peter's conscience. He confronted him with reality. Not with what Peter hoped to be reality, but with reality. Turn to John 21. 15 to 25, this is where we find this. John 21, 15 to 25. Yeah, and you can, as you're flipping there, Jesus would most certainly, you can be assured, lose his therapist's license if he lived in Canada today or perhaps California coming soon. (laughs) I mean, clearly he's not affirming Peter's lived experience, you know? it's He doesn't know Peter's truth. He's just giving him the, the real truth. But what about Peter's truth? I'm being a little facetious. But here, I gave you enough time to get there. John, what is it, 21, 15 to 25? Is that what we said? When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The suicide argument, my friends, is a creepy, vile line of argumentation. One that reminds me of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, actually, and how they were honored down at the L.A. Dodgers Stadium for fighting AIDS, their life-saving work. But they they fight AIDS because they want to keep having homosexual sex, wherein they spread HIV and AIDS. (laughs) It makes no sense. What's the real virtuous way, the honorable way to fight AIDS? Well, it would be to repent of sexual sin and stop participating in the spread of the disease. So what's the real virtuous way to prevent teen suicide? 
It was a great question for Tony Thurman and Rob Bonta and anybody else out there advocating for LGBTQ kids to be able to hide from their parents that they're feeling like a different gender. Well, the answer is stop encouraging kids to think chopping off their breasts and penises will solve their pubescent angst. That we can even have this conversation, and I say can, with material to discuss, that we can even have this conversation is evidence that it's high time we Christians pull our kids from the public schools. Let's take a break right there. We'll come right back for our third segment of Cross Defense. Thanks for listening. Military veteran, engineer, entrepreneur. These are just some of the former careers held by current LCMS pastors. Careers that they left behind to serve congregations in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. No matter the background, our Lord calls men who have a passion for the word and a love for serving Christ to be pastors. A sacred, joyful, and essential vocation. If you or a friend have been praying and thinking about becoming a pastor, visit weareyourseminaries.org and put your experience and skills to new use in pastoral ministry. Visit weareyourseminaries.org seminaries.org Welcome back to Cross Defense. We're talking about education, taking apologetics on the offensive rather than on the defensive, which I know is a little confusing, but it definitely is not offensive. Well, unless maybe it is. I don't know. Well, you can definitely let me know what you think by going to stmarksferndale.com slash contact, that's S-T-M-A-R-K-S, ferndale.com slash contact, and let us know whatever you're thinking about this show. We'd love to hear from you. You know, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod has a history of caring about the education of our children. We've always understood the importance of raising up our children as Christians and taking responsibility for their education. As individual families joined together. When the Saxons immigrated to Missouri in 1838, they had pulled their children out of what they themselves considered, quote, Sodom and Gomorrah. They were among the German conservatives engaged in a, get this, political battle with liberals. I know, there's nothing new under the sun. And they were real people, just like us, just like you, who were in a very real clash of cultures and creeds with their neighbors. William O. Forster writes of the educational reform in his tome of a book, Zion on the Mississippi. Maybe you've read it. I hope you have. He says, during this time, there is noticeable a thorough reconstruction of the German intellectual attitude, and the German educational system. This trend was colored by a nationalistic fervor of an idealistic romantic type, which was inspired by a patriotic enthusiasm and by a passionate belief in the political value of intellectual achievement. In the regeneration of Germany, education and general cultural influences were considered important agencies for developing the spiritual power and morale of the youth. Did you hear Tony Thurman's appeal to our sense of patriotism as he introduced himself? And the political value 
and the, the intellectual achievement component, it's evident in President Biden's kite strings comment and all these other places that you can see, but just from our own clips from today. Education and general cultural influences. I don't know, like say the entertainment industry. That would be a cultural influence, wouldn't it? And how about social media? That'd be a cultural influence. These were considered important agencies, Forster says, for developing spiritual power and morale of the youth. It's always about the kids, guys. It's always about the kids. Have we learned nothing from the past? Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Lutheran should know first and foremost about threats to our children. It's one of the major reasons why we came to the new world, to escape the political overreach of the Prussian Union, being forced to teach our children something we didn't want to teach them. So we came here to teach them what our conscience said was right according to God's word. Continuing with Forster, an already strong intellectual tradition emphasized the principles of freedom of thought and teaching. This is Bonta's emphasis on the right to privacy and the child's own choice, right? He's pulling on this principles of freedom lever. Since there was also a general conviction of the necessity for universal education, that'd be public school if you're not following along, both the gymnasium and the elementary school were reorganized and imbued with the ideals of personal and intellectual freedom. Here at school, kids, you're free to be yourself. We want you to hear us. Are you hearing us? Here at school, you can express yourself however you want, and we won't tell your parents. Well, except for you, Lydia, Jesus is off limits. <laughs> The demand for political liberalization was only a natural concomitant of these developments. These guys had words, man. They could use their vocabulary. I love it. Educational reorganization was by no means completed by 1830, Forster says, but it was already creating serious difficulties for the conservatives. The liberal reorganization of the schools, dear cross-defense listener, dear saint, was a major part of our forefathers' migration to America so they could teach their children the truth from Scripture and not what the state wanted them to teach. We are so deep down lies happening in our schools. It happens to be we're focused right now on this LGBTQ thing, but it could be critical race theory. It could be evolution, which is kind of underpinning everything. The Marxist thought, all of this stuff. We're once again, in a time of migration, aren't we? Where conservatives are moving out of blue states, many of them precisely because they don't want to deal with the state overreach, teaching their children what they don't want their children taught. You notice the parallels between what's going on right now in the United States and what was going on with the Prussian Union that brought... Our Missouri Senate forefathers here? There's a lot of similarity. But not all of us are in a position to move, are we? And some of us, we actually want to keep serving our neighbors in the hope 
that we can indoctrinate all nations in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's not to say that those who move away aren't serving their neighbors, but I actually came back to Ferndale knowing California's politics. I left the heartland of this country and came back bringing my children so that we could establish this church. There was, there was so few in number that we could build it back up, that we could dedicate our time to this to save this outpost of orthodoxy. That's been my prayer ever since I got back, and the Lord is blessing us with that. And so we're, we're staying put. And instead of fleeing, we've made the decision to try to establish something even more, to put roots even further down. Teaching not only our kids, but the kids all around us, the, the, the neighbors all around us, whatever their age, teaching them all that Jesus has commanded us. This is exactly why St. Mark has an exploratory committee right now looking at creating a one-room schoolhouse. It's what the cool kids call a micro-school. <laughs> but I prefer to, to conserve the old name because it's in keeping with our particular context and the heritage-preserving task that, that we're trying to embark upon. St. Mar Mark has a, a church building yeah, you'd expect that. We have a parsonage across the street. But even more than that, years ago, the Lord blessed this church with the house next door to the church. Right outside the Wing Lion studio, there is a second house. Members gave it to the church, and the idea was that it would be used as a space for the youth, <laughs> the youth of the congregation. And there was a delay in bringing that plan to fruition, and in the meantime, it was decided to rent it out, and it's been rented out ever since. And rental income being what it is can be hard to get away from. It's nice to have that steady flow of income. But you know what's even nicer than rental income? Serving our neighbors. Now, this week is the eighth Sunday after Trinity, and Acts 20, 27 to 38 was our second reading this week. Flip to Acts 20, 35. What's that say? In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. The passive income has been a blessing to the church, indeed, not denying that at all, especially when the church was down to just about eight people gathering on a Sunday. And they didn't have a pastor. It kept the doors open. But what else does rental income do? This, this passive income, its passive nature undermines what St. Paul showed the church, that by working hard, this is something we're missing in our society today, yeah? Working hard. That by working hard, we must help the weak. This is also something we're missing today, that we do things sacrificially, not for our own good, but for those who are weaker than us. A church having rental income contributes to a culture of receiving, a culture that wants for itself, but not, not that gives. People who, who want to receive everything but never give anything, which is, which is contrary to what Jesus says, isn't it? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Putting in hard work to be able to give to others is a great joy, as anyone who's ever done it knows sacrificing so that others can have 
what they need for their salvation is the greatest of joys. It's what the Christian does. It's just the Christian way. It's what Christ did on the cross, giving of his entire life that we may receive life eternal. There's the comfort for our souls today. Christ Jesus worked hard so that we would receive. He gave of himself for those who were weaker than him. So, as we own this little house, little two-bedroom house, it was offered to the Lord not as a source of passive income but to serve children, we're now exploring the ins and outs of turning it into the location for an intentionally integrated one-room schoolhouse where the children of the congregation, as well as children all over Humboldt County, can gather to be given a classical Christian education. And as you may or may not know, we have a very specific reason for this, which is related to all the sort of stuff we've been talking about today. Over the course of the last two plus years, it's become evident, very evident, that Humboldt County, and indeed all of California, is in an educational desert in desperate need of irrigation. The biblical literacy of our neighbors, this is not an insult, this is just reality, is nearly nothing. People know almost, literally, almost nothing about the scriptures. Whatever they do know, they're picking up from bits and pieces online, on social media, memes, things like this. And it's not true. And it's evident that this is what they know. From the popular support of the LGBTQ, and the repeated accusation that when we speak words of truth from Scripture, we're being hateful. That the Bible is hateful. We can keep putting up signs that our neighbors don't understand, and we will, because that's part of our short game. But we need to be mindful, and we are, of the end game, the long game. We live in the now, but not yet knowing that Christ has already vanquished the enemy, the results of which are already ours right now. Right this very moment, you are forgiven of your sins. Right this very moment, you are a child of God. And yet you await the full revelation of what that means and what that looks like and what that'll be like when the Lord returns. And so we await his return and we plan for what that await might look like while while we are very clear that it could be at any moment that he returns, we plan as he exercises patience for the sake of the lost and we, we work toward helping reach those lost. We rejoice in being his broken shovel in the garden as he gets to the lost. Now, aware of, aware of this, we, we want to be faithful here at St. Mark, and reaching the lost and creating an influential culture in Humboldt County that will bring more and more people into the one true apostolic doctrine of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, educating the next generation of our neighbors, those who are still we high, enabling them to read and hear Scripture and know what it means and to be able to respond to it appropriately, not with hard hearts and not having been duped their entire life and led astray by these fictions and myths, 
No, we want to we want to teach them about creation and God's order, how things work, how God designed it. That's the goal. Every student who gets a classical Christian Christian education in our little schoolhouse, just like it is everywhere where there's a classical Christian school, will be able to defend himself and others against the lies of Satan. And as he defends others, he'll be able to storm the, the battlefields, the spiritual battlefields, with, with logic in his hand, <laughs> using the sword. So as we close out for today, here are some words from Dr. Gene Edward Veith Jr. and Andrew Kern. We here at St. Mark want to do what they say. We want to take responsibility for Western civilization. The West is unique in its view of mankind as the image of a transcendent God and in its acceptance of the view that both truth and the world can be known. These commitments are the hinges for much that defines Western civilization. Western civilization is the property of all who live in America. Our national roots have grown deep in the customs, traditions, discoveries, Roman and Hebrew history. It is our privilege to receive and to share this heritage. And it's just as immoral to keep it from others as it is to despise our heritage. So, dear saints, if you wouldn't mind praying for St. Mark, for us out here in the Winged Lion studio, behind the Redwood Curtain, we'd certainly appreciate it. And that's it for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cross Defense. May our Lord bless you and yours and keep you from these satanic lies. May he hold you firm in the truth. May he help you, if you have children, educate them according to the truth. They would know both truth and the world. They, too, would claim this Western heritage as their own and share it with their neighbors, sharing Jesus all the way. Talk to you next week. Godspeed. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at kfuo.org.